Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. We're going to do something different on this show, which is this. It is a actually a mirrored show. I'm having Alex Sakaris of Skeptico podcast on my show and he's having me on his show and listen in as we question each other about positions that we have in common and that we want to find more about what the other person is thinking so here we go and this show is going to be a little bit different from a lot of the other shows we do it's kind of a joint mirrored podcast so we're joined by philip camella a lawyer turned podcaster, turned author, who's written a fascinating book, The Collapse of Materialism, Visions of Science, Dreams of God. He's also the host of a very well-done podcast titled The Con uh, Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. It's on Web Talk Radio. He has some really terrific guests on there that he's been able to land, and he covers, I think, a lot of the topics that are will be very familiar to Skeptico listeners. He does them in a very intelligent way, probing and constantly kind of expanding and pushing the boundaries of this, I guess, consciousness reimagined once we get past this dorky materialism that we both kind of rail against so much. So with that, it's a great pleasure to welcome you, Philip, to Skeptico. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, to return the favor, uh, again, this is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. And uh, with regard to Alex, those uh, of you probably know a lot of him on, on my show. For the last seven years, he's done his podcast, uh, Skeptico Science at the Tipping Point, and it really is a leading show in this area. And I, and I think a lot of us view Alex as being a trailblazer. He's interviewed a star-studded cast of original thinkers, hard-nosed scientists, mediums, near-death researchers, parapsychologists, and everything in between. I like his, uh, I like your adage there about the goal is to find the truth, follow the data wherever it leads, and that's something that um, is close to my heart because I think that that is really what this is all about. Now, Alex has a new book. Uh, that I've read. It's really a great read. It's called Science is Wrong about almost everything. And um, in this book, he assembles excerpts from a wide range of interviews that he's done, spliced with his own observations to show that perhaps the end days of science as we know it are near. So, Alex, thanks a lot for um, for putting this together. I'm looking forward to it. And since I'm the last person talking here, I'm going to ask you, first of all, uh, what drove you down this path to get involved in this whole scientific challenge 
that you that that you do both in your book and on your show what what was your inspiration well you know philip it's kind of interesting because now i've listened to a couple of your interviews and i think you touch on an aspect of this that i don't talk about as much but you talk about having a lifelong kind of interest in some of these topics and you know i never quite see it that way, but if I'm really going to be honest, I think I've always felt like I thought a little bit differently, you know, yeah, and I tried yeah. to conform and I tried to do, and you must be able to relate to this. I mean, you went through law school and became a lawyer. I went through business school, got an MBA, got a good job, tried to do everything everyone was talking about. But in the meantime, I always in the back of my mind had this, yeah, but what else? Isn't there's got to be something more? And I was interested in these deeper questions. I saw them as both uh, spiritual questions, but also as scientific questions, because I, I, at a very, I don't know, early age, I guess I'm older now, but in my early 20s, I I, kind of put aside the traditional religious Christian upbringing that I had and said, you know, that just doesn't really make much sense. Uh, But I still had this gnawing feeling that there was something behind that religion. There was a, a, a kernel of truth there that I wanted to investigate, but I wanted to investigate it scientifically. So when I got the opportunity, I felt like these questions were questions that I had mulled over for a long time. But I want to kind of throw that back at you. And because I think that in in reading your book, listening to your show, one of the things I felt a real uh, camaraderie with, and I guess a, a, a simbatico was this idea that you're somebody who's very grounded in the real world. I mean, you understand how the real world works. You understand how people work. And even that, I think, is a good background to understanding how science works, because yeah. science is, in some ways, its own duck out there yeah. uh, versus, you know, the law, which I think, you know, intersects with, with real people doing real stuff. What, what, are, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, that you have to keep your feet on the ground. I think that's the purpose of having a ground and feet to begin with. I think it's easy to get lost in the airy topics in this field, to get too abstract and to forget that at the end of the day we have lives to lead. And I think that the challenge is translating these high-sounding principles into our daily lives. And ultimately, to me, it comes down to morality. It comes Mm. down to incorporating this quote-unquote spirituality, this 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 unified essence that's inside of us and 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 exerting that outward to fulfill this moral promise and and frankly i think that that's one of my problems with materialism is that when you read the leaders they're basically you know they basically say and there's a quote in my book along these lines that science has no moral lessons to convey I mean, I think that that is really a sad commentary. And, you know, I tell people that a lot of my inspiration is negative. I mean, I remember, you know, in preparing for the show, I remember the book The Naked Ape. I don't know if you ever read that book, but it had a, had that, that sort of fascinating cover with a naked guy on it. But but that book, I, I had a reaction against that book. to my In my own mind, at a young age, I knew we were more than naked apes. And so and so it's sort of this fight to prove that this feeling we have inside that's that's telling us that we're more than naked apes, we're more than uh, than descended from the amoeba, 
that, that, we, that there's more potential we have, that this is something that's never left me. And, and so, um, but at the same time, we have lives to lead. And I, I think that this is something, Alex, that needs to happen in order to carry this forward, uh, you know, to the field, to bring it out there. We have to convince people that this is real, that, that we're but, not just, you know, pontificating. Well, but, but I don't know. You know, I'm challenged by that, too, because one of the things I've really tried to do, and I've been doing it even more so in the last month or two, is really reaching out to the atheist community, skeptical community, the science as we know it types, the people we're pushing against mainly in this struggle. And I have to say, every time I do, I come away with a, a, a mixed feeling. On one hand, I get a better sense for what they're really up against. I mean, let's get real. We still live in a world that is, uh, on one hand, bound to some rather wacky religious ideas. True. And we can kind of you know, maneuver our way around them and say, well, the, the morality issue, don't they kind of have that figured out better than the, the atheists do? And hey, don't they have the charity and the love part of it figured out better than the other ones do and uh, better than the atheists do? And I would have to say they do. And I would have to say that in terms of the, the, the spark of uh, God, if you will, that maybe rests at the core of all this that we can't really put into terms. And I know as soon as I throw out the word God there, it's going to turn off a lot of people. But you can substitute anything you want, uh, light, intelligence, source, whatever you want. But I'm getting sidetracked because my point is the ills of religiosity, of orthodoxy, really can't be easily dismissed or, or diminished too much. And I think we have a tendency to sometimes do that and to pretend like Everything is okay if we can just get rid of those dang pesky atheists. Hey, those atheists are kind of pushing some important points uh, forward. Yeah, I think that you make I think you make a good point, but I think that what we have in in my uh, view of this is that we have a dichotomy. We have which is which is between what I would call orthodox religion or say creationism and material science as if those are the only two choices you know you can only be a republican or a democrat you can't be an independent or libertarian it's it's like a two answer multiple choice test and too often i think that uh the the two sides get polarized and one becomes a reaction against the other i know i know in your own book you make a a, a a really good point that i'm quoting here it says part of the reason atheists are such sloppy thinkers when it comes to big picture science is they've wasted much of their intellectual muscle debunking christianity and and i think that this is this is a, a very i think that was a very good point and i completely agree with it, it the 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 we should be looking for common ground, though. I do think orthodox religion is a problem, and I also think orthodox science is a problem. The only way we're going to improve things is we need to move beyond both and find the common ground and find something where we could agree upon. And that's why I'm an advocate of taking it all down and building it up you know, all over again. So, and that's an interesting thought. And you know, one question I guess I, I had for you, and since you just said about tearing everything down, which fits in perfectly with the title of your book, which is 
Once again, folks, you want to check this out. It's on Amazon. It's gotten some fantastic reviews, some great blurbs by some really, really intelligent people, including Larry Dossie and a couple other folks. The Collapse of Materialism, Visions of Science, Dreams of God. So you just talk, Philip, about tearing everything down. As a lawyer, Philip, how would you make the case for the collapse of materialism as that being something that we could really foresee in the future? How does materialism really collapse? Isn't it, aren't we totally enmeshed in materialism, materialistic thinking, both in a scientific level, but also uh, on a very personal level? Can we really extricate ourselves from this idea? I, th I think that the, the movement out of materialism is ultimately a natural movement of consciousness, is ultimately an evolution of consciousness. One of the errors that materialism makes us believe in is that evolution only, only occurs in the, for the organism, for the material thing. You know, there's plenty of thinkers, uh, Pierre Desjardins and, and Siri Orobindo and others who talked about the evolution of consciousness. I think that what we are experiencing now and for the past 20 or 30 years is we're seeing consciousness evolve, consciousness starting to understand that we are enmeshed into the world. And so to me, it's not, it's not just coming up with a, with a great argument and, and, and pounding somebody on the head with all these logical points. That's part of it, but, but ultimately, it's going to be a, to me, it's going to be a natural movement. It, this is going to feel closer to us as we move closer to the world, realize that we are really part of nature and that it's not separate from us. But Philip, that's getting too touchy-feely for me. I think so. Too new agey. Hmm. I mean, bring it down to for me as an attorney. Show me the show me the evidence. Because again, I, I the, one of the fastest growing groups in the spiritual realm, if you will, if, the, if as we divide that up, are atheists. Are atheists? Are uh, non-believers? Are folks who are have turned their back on religion. Those folks aren't coming around anyway soon, anytime soon. And, you know, I talked to a lot of prominent scientists who have seem to have no, uh, no inclination to move away from materialism. Or if they do, more, more importantly, when they do, they have a million little fallback positions that are, that are really just restating the same. You know, it's like, in consciousness research, which I've probably investigated more than anything else, you know? So, yeah, you pin them down and you say, is consciousness an epiphenomenon of the brain? Is it just a product of the brain? And if you wrestle them to the ground enough, you can get them to say, oh, okay, maybe it's not. Oh, it's a, it's a emergent property of the brain, you know? So that's their fallback position, which is really a, a non-starter. It's the same, but it's kind of stated in a different way. It's, I just did a... a, a just publishing a show with a New York Times bestselling uh, author and meditator, Sam Harris, who's featured on the ABC News, if you turn on Good Morning America. And, uh, you know, 
a great book, 10% Happier, all about meditation, mindfulness meditation. It should really usher in the kind of change that you're talking about, but it comes at meditation from a very secular kind of perspective, an atheist Buddhist kind of perspective. I, I, I just don't think we're being, if this is really a battle that we're engaged in, kind of like a legal battle that we're engaged in. I don't think we're giving the other side enough credit when we just talk about consciousness. Well, consciousness is rising and we're going to be in this new age. Hey, you know, uh, tell Williams James that, right? A hundred years ago, William James was one of the leading scientists in the world, let alone leading psychologists at Harvard and, and Groundbreaker. Where did that all go? It went nowhere. The spiritualist movement of the turn of the 19, turn of the 20th century in the early 1900s totally flopped and was replaced by the kind of dorky materialism that you rail against and I rail against. Yeah, and I think that first of all, there's it's it's so important to define terms. Uh, I, I had a, a I've had a couple atheists on my show, and. There's really two questions I would have. First of all, when you apply atheism, are you saying that you do not believe in the God or gods of the Bible, A, or B, does that mean that you don't think that there's any type of underlying spirit, unity, source, divinity to human existence? Those are two separate questions. And I think that, for example, uh, Einstein was really a pantheist. He really thought that nature is God. When you read a lot of the quote-unquote material science books, they believe that God is the laws of nature. They believe in the harmony of the world. I think, so, so it really isn't, they're atheists in the sense that they may not believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead or that Muhammad uh, wrote the Koran, but, but they're not atheists in the sense that they don't believe in some kind of underlying purpose or harmony. So I think that that's, I think that's really important to make that distinction. Well, I mean, I think that's a, that's a wonderful distinction for us to make because it kind of pulls some of those folks into our camp. But I just don't see that out there. I mean, certainly in the Internet, when you talk about atheism, you're not talking about any of those people. These people, people and that's not to, this is not to denigrate them, uh, they have a definite position. And their position, you know, let's talk a little bit about their social position. Because in a lot of respects, they, their social positions, I find very compatible with my own beliefs. So, you know, gay marriage, they're all, why would we not have gay marriage? What's wrong with gay marriage? And yet we have a, a the, the moralistic Christian side of our society has fought that vehemently for 20 years. Right. Same with abortion, stem cell research, all these kind of progressive social issues that are also, I think, issues um, for issues in this discourse between science and religion are issues that the atheists are on the right side of, even if they're on the right side of them for the wrong reasons. I mean, why on earth would we want to prevent two people who love each other from getting married? It seems like a silly issue. And the only thing that's prevented it has been religious fundamentalism, but it's not just fundamentalism. You know, I often tell people, I mean, I live in Southern California, man, in San Diego, one of the most liberal places in the country. And, you know, I have gone to church out, out here, even though I haven't been a Christian the whole time I've been out here. I've gone, I like to 
connect with people who are looking for that higher source. But in my very uh, liberal Presbyterian church right up the road that we have gone to, they're extremely uh, against, they're extremely against gay marriage. They're extremely against gay priests, all that stuff. So don't the atheists kind of have a point with, with these kind of social issues? And in the, but the larger question is back to my question, which I feel like I got to pin you down a little bit on Philip. Okay, go for what it. About this, what about this collapse of materialism? Man, it ain't, it ain't going to happen. We got, there, there's too much, too much we've built into materialism, and there's too many other forces, like I was just talking about with the church and the, the inability for the church to get, get outside of its own dogma. Yeah, I, I think, frankly, I think you're mixing up some different concepts uh, and, you know, in your, in your question, in the, way you, in the way you presented that. To me, it's a function of coming up with a theory that explains more. Materialism doesn't explain the full range of human experience. It doesn't ex- explain near-death experiences. It doesn't explain parapsychology. It doesn't explain phantom limbs. I don't think it explains ex- explains consciousness. It doesn't explain where this funny idea of spirit or God came from. To me, it's a it's a function of of replacing the scientific theory or the or the underlying worldview of materialism with a broader based uh, consciousness based or mind based or mind first worldview i think this is a scientific revolution and let me let me be very clear here we are never going to give up the outside world this is the world we live in all we ever do in my view of things is to change our perspective we change our perspective. We accept things like energy healing as part of medical science. We accept parapsychology, clairvoyance, near-death experiences, maybe an afterlife. We accept these things as credible parts of our world instead of rejecting them out of hand because they don't fit the model. So to me, materialism is collapsing because it's not explaining the full range of human experiences. And there's more and more people understanding that, that, that you don't have to uh, be a card-carrying materialist to be a rational person. And, and so, so, this is, so this is where I'm coming from. I think that materialism is collapsing because it, it, it's failing to explain the very world we live in. You know, we haven't even started with all the all the problems. But but to me, Alex, and I want I want to say something here that that is sort of recent. But there is a fundamental inconsistency in materialism because remember, there's no mind or spirit or involved in 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 the world of the materialist. And but as as the more scientists look at the world from the outer cosmos to the brain, to human life, the more complicated it is and the more organized it seems. And so therefore, science is starting to see, to me, that the only source of that order must be themselves. We are looking at a reflection of ourselves because we're the only things around that can give order to the... that, that can give order to the world. A mind must be giving order to this world. And that's the real revolution, where we accept it as being, as being part of science 
as opposed to being some outlier thing you read about on these on these vision retreats. You know, obviously, Philip, I'm right there with you and have investigated these same issues and have come to the same conclusion. But I want to continue to kind of go along this line of playing devil's advocate a little bit because we could sit here and talk about the the same stuff that we've both found in terms of the the failings of materialism to explain consciousness, the craziness of this idea that we are biological robots in a meaningless universe, and all that's meant. So, so let me jump over then and play devil's advocate a little bit, because it's going to be more fun for me, and I'd like, you you just made some good points there, I'd like to hear some more of that. Here's, I guess, where I was really pushing, is that Back to my point of you being a practical guy, me being a practical guy, I'm a business guy, you're a lawyer. You know, I really step back and I say, you know, ideally what you're saying is great, makes sense. Love to see that transformation. From a practical standpoint, I know we live in a world of absurdities. This absurdity of materialism isn't the only absurdity we live in. Uh, the absurdity of children around the world starving from a lack of water, from a lack of food, from a lack of basic medicine that we know how to deliver, we know how to distribute, we know all that. Right. That, do- that kind of suffering doesn't have to go on. Right. But you and I are going to lay our heads on the pillow tonight, and that's going to happen. And we, we can't put our arms around why that happens but we're going to get up tomorrow we're going to do our thing and the world is not going to change in that way tomorrow now maybe we can change it a little bit but it's going to be hard so in that sense from a real sense i don't see the kind of transformation that that you're talking about happening i see a lot of reasons why it will not happen and why we are so enmeshed in this materialism and it's become a system that works for us as crazy as it is it works for us to kind of put on the blinders and pretend like the world is a giant newtonian clock that's been wound up and is just playing out even though for the last hundred years and you do a great job of pointing this out in your book we've known that newtonian physics doesn't work in that way yet we still play that game so in that way I, I again want to ask you, why do we really think that materialism is going to change? And don't you see a lot of the same obstacles that I'm talking about that would prevent a real kind of paradigm shift like you're talking about? Well, I think, first of all, you start with a very basic question, and then, and then you know you come to a road, and, and there's the old famous fork there, and the first question you you ask yourself is, is this all hopeless? Should I give up and just go home? Or should I venture and give it a shot? And that's no, the... No, let that, me, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I want to interject a different okay. question because okay. I hear that a lot. Yeah. That's, but that's not my point. That's not where I'm coming from. Right. I'd come at it from a different standpoint. I'd come at it and say, my conclusion is this, to, to put my hand down there, is it's all about personal transformation. But if you're trying to make sense of this world and trying to fit it into some larger paradigm, I guess I have a much more of a Gnostic kind of point of view. I don't know exactly what this world is for, but maybe this world is 
perfect the way that it is. Maybe all this pain and suffering, and, and, and I experience so much less pain that it's, it's easy for me to say that because I have a, a very, very comfortable lifestyle compared to 80% of the people in the world who live on like $100 a year or less. But still, I just have to wonder if this transformation that I hear so many people talk about is really where the action is about or whether it's really about personal transformation, the transformation that you or I can make in an instant when we make that shift inside ourselves. Well, I think it begins with a personal transformation, but I think that there is power in unity and there's power in a critical mass the the whole there's an underlying there's a win-win underlying this just like there's a, a win-win underlying morality I think that as the the personal transformations continue and as they build and as there's people of like minds going down the same path in other words we break down the barriers that are separating different religions. We start looking at people as human beings as opposed to people of different race, colors, and creeds, and we start treating each other better. Now that maybe sounds like a bunch of happy talk, and maybe it is, but the point is, is that materialism teaches that we are separate. We're separate from each other, we're separate from the world, and we're separate from God, or whatever we're gonna call the source and that teaching I don't think is valid and I think that that teaching is separating ourselves from taking advantage of the power of the world and I think the big the big thing here Alex and this is why I asked you a question now imagine that people start living longer they start staying younger longer and it's because of this consciousness raising whatever word we want to use suppose we see real change in the world we start seeing it's it, it's like it's like a um, energy healing on more of a global scale it starts working now are you trying to tell me that we're gonna run back and start taking our pharmaceutical drugs and and start you know make as much money as possible and spread cream all over ourselves and everything we're gonna go back to materialism now this is this is what I'm talking I'm talking about and this you know you want it practicality I think that the only way this revolution will ever work is if there is real change in the world and in ourselves because that because then it'll build on itself so, so this is this is where I think the the power of this comes from. It's not just it's personal transformation, but it's also leading towards unity. And, and let me ask you something: um, What do you think the barriers are to changing mindsets? I think there, I think there are many, and I think it's easy to underestimate like I'm like I was saying the amount of force that is behind materialism as we know it yeah. science as we know it and I think one of the wonderful things about the internet is that it's allowed people like you and I to form communities and to join those communities and you know it, strengthen our, our ourselves strengthen each other with these 
ideas that are certainly empowering, enriching. Uh, they've enriched my life tremendously. I mean, my show, Skeptico, I can't tell you how much it's changed me as a person, yeah. both intellectually but spiritually in a very deep and profound way that I don't usually talk about on the show. So I'm right there with you. Um, but I think the flip side of that is that I think we can sometimes get a skewed view of how our smaller communities fit into the larger scheme of things. Yeah. And that's why I guess I was kind of reaching for the, the, the atheist thing because I have been talking to them and when I reach out and I, I really get into their shoes, I, one, I see them as fundamentalists. I see them falling into the same traps that the fundamentalist Christians that they rail against have fallen into of dogma, doctrine, orthodoxy. They're all bound up in that stuff. But at the same time, they do have a lot of points in terms of uh, what's wrong, how hopeless we are in, in, in terms of figuring this stuff out. I guess the other influence that I have that I haven't heard you talk about, and I think it's kind of, I wouldn't be surprised if you haven't investigated it that much, but I think the, the conspiracy issues are, you know, are, are, are right in the center of this. You know, I was just, uh, just well, the other day. Well, well, it's funny you should say that because I just circled the word conspiracy on my notes before you said that. So, so I'm sorry for interrupting, but, but you're right on point. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's, that's quite all right. Really and, cool. and I mean, yeah. here's, and before people take that the wrong way and kind of think I'm going to say some kind of wacky stuff, <laughs> you know, coming from the business world, you know, when I started out, my business career with my MBA, I went to work for a large accounting firm. What was Price Waterhouse is now, uh, what is it, P.W. Cooper, whatever, still right, one of the largest right, accounting right. firms in the world. I was fresh out of school. I was a, you know, they slap a Brooks Brothers suit on you and kind of send you out there like you know what you're doing and you really don't. But I was naive as to what I was doing and how things were working. I was at a low level and there weren't any conspiracies in business. Business was a pretty much a straight transaction and that's how it looked. Well, as my career advanced and eventually I had my own company and eventually I was doing larger deals and I eventually sold my company to a publicly traded company. When you're at that level, it's all a conspiracy. <laughs> Every bit of it is a conspiracy. And I'm sure you can relate to that as a lawyer. Everyone is going behind each other's back, peddling information, trying to influence people, conspiring with other people. To get, you know, yeah. Everything is a conspiracy when the money or power is involved. Yeah. And I think people who are naive to that, who don't understand that, are, are, are not seeing the whole picture. I think that certainly has a hand, a hand in it when it comes to science, but I think it also has a, a strong hand in the way culture is shaped, the way society is shaped, and the way that this consciousness revolution that we would like to see happen, I think the people that are in power would have something to say about that. And I'm not trying to be obtuse there or allude to anything, but anything that is going to seriously upset the machine that we live in, they're going to have a say in it. And I think they already do have a say in it. And that's why I think science is the way that it is. And that's why I think we're stuck with this phony science versus religion drama that gets played out that as you 
so correctly point out in your book is completely besides the point you know it kind of mm. misses the misses the target on both sides yeah well well there's something in um law and antitrust is called unconscious parallelism which is a big word it, it's sort of like even if people don't intentionally fix prices there's this unconscious agreement so I, I I'm more of a fan of calling it this unconscious agreement than sort of an overt conspiracy I I am getting closer to thinking that it's more obvious but you know, there's that famous saying, I think it was Wigner, and I'm sure other folks in your show have said it because it's one of my favorite, the whole thing about uh, science progresses funeral by funeral. I mean, I, right. I think that, that that says a lot. I mean, what I'm talking about is a generational thing. I think it's going to take a long time to get where we need to go. I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. So I would agree with you, Alex, that, that it's very easy to get pie in the sky with some of this stuff. But on the other hand, you sort of have to start from somewhere. I sort of view it like attacking the citadel, you know, attacking a castle. And it's going to take years and decades and maybe generations to get there. But each of us has our little role to play. I mean, your show mm -hmm. is made great strides and bringing to the, the public, uh, you know, these leading thinkers. And, you know, you're a very probing, inquisitive uh, interviewer. So, so you challenge people. And, you know, I think that, that just that's great because what we want to do, to use the royal we, is to get people thinking for themselves. I mean, that's ultimately what I'm trying to do because truth should be a universal thing. I mean, too much of the time both in orthodox religion and science it's pounded into your head this is what you're supposed to believe in order to go to heaven this is what you have to believe in order to get the grant to get the phd to get an a on your paper this is what you have to do we don't we need more independent thinkers so that so that we we are not burdened by history and by culture and so you know, you mentioned the internet. It's it's been an unbelievable benefit to all of us because those who did not have a voice before now have a voice. And frankly, Alex, I think a lot of this is sort of the search for for credibility. The search for credibility. If you look at the leading thinkers, the the leading scientists, they're virtually without exception materialists. And that's the message that we're hearing. You know, Stephen Hawking, the you know, the movie theory, you know, love story, blah, blah, blah. But the point is that this guy is a hardcore materialist. He thinks that we are chemical scum. That's a that that's a quote, that heaven doesn't exist. And and so we need to change the messaging. And that's sort of what what I'm about. And I think frankly, that's what you're about. <laughs> well, it, no, I, I, I I agree with you to a point. I'm very uh, one. I'm, I'm I'm delighted that you feel that way, and I mean that's been my my thing as well. I'm I'm always a little uncomfortable when we start talking about the message, you know, yeah. because then we're becoming what we yeah <laughs> we're becoming what we kind of are are trying to oppose to a certain extent. I'm very much an iconoclast, you know. I love collapsing. Yeah, let's tear it all down and build it up. The other thing, I guess that that I'm about, and I think that I've personally experienced, and I want 
everyone else to experience who listens to Skeptico is that this search for the truth that you're talking about, this this search for the data, following the data, can really take you a long way. And as you just pointed out, the internet is the great equalizer. You can lay side by side Hawking and his critics. And these papers, folks, you know, even these peer-reviewed papers that seem so, you know, unreachable to the average person, they're not. You know why? Because more and more scientists are having to write for interdisciplinary publications and uh, cross-disciplinary academics who are maybe not trained in their particular thing. You can go in there and you can pull apart this research yourself. So you can listen to Philip and his guests uh, you know, summarize it for you and tell you their opinions on conversations beyond science and religion. Or if you want, you can go in and you can follow up and you can pull up those papers and you can pull them apart and read them. And we've done a lot of that on Skeptico as well. But that process is doable and is a noble process that I think, from my experience, has led to a transformation for me, a transformation not because I had a, 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 any kind of divine or psychic experience, but just by following the data, by doing, as you described in uh, one of your, I think on your website there, you know, just doing some of the basic stuff you learned as a lawyer in terms of breaking down an argument, putting both sides, doing the old Ben Franklin, the pros and the cons and weighing the evidence. That stuff can can lead to a transformation. That's what uh, my work's about. That's what Skeptico's about. And I do think, I have to say from reading your book and, and listening to enough of your show now, I think that's what you're about too. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, we could control ourselves. That's one thing that is guaranteed. And, I mean, and you could put this in a lot of different ways, such as writing your own story, you know, directing your own destiny, all that kind of all that kind of stuff, but heaven, but you know, you know, for heaven's sake, uh, find your own way and think for yourself. I mean, I I think that I win, or this this view of the world, the consciousness based, the mind based approach, wins at the end of the day for the open minded crowd. That's because that's where things lead. But it's just like anything else. The only way you really convince somebody is if they convince themselves. All you could do is lead them, is try to try to get them to consider different ideas. And if they go through that thought process themselves and reach that conclusion, i.e. that the world is consciousness-based, for example, as opposed to matter-based, now we're talking about something. And so this this is this is why Alex I think this is going to take a while. This is not going to I mean but but look at this way. I mean you've been doing your show for 7 8 years now, right? And right. and I and now what have you seen things change? Do you see any 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 mind minds opening? Do you see a change in your guests and your listeners? I mean, have you seen anything uh grow over over the time you've been doing your show? I have to admit that that yes, I have. I'm just reluctant to make too much of that, yeah. you know, because yeah. it, 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 again, I I love you know. Have you ever um, seen or read any seen or read? Have you ever read any of uh, Michael Tim's books 
or seeing his, uh, his his website, people might. I, I did an interview with him, and you can also Google his no, name, Michael Tim T Y T Y M E or T Y M. I don't I think so. That up. I'm sorry, but anyways, he's done the, uh, an incredible job of documenting the some of the real giants of the spiritualist movement again around the turn of the 20th century, early 1900s. And many of the mediums, we still have extensive records, hundreds of pages that have been collected on those people, on the readings. So the, the brightest and best minds of the age were very interested in this and had applied the best science to investigating it and had concluded that there was a reality to it, you know? Yes. I always see that as a cautionary tale of this idea that we're making progress and the revolution is right around the corner, yeah. consciousness rising. Yeah. Hey, maybe, maybe not. And that's why I prefer to say, again, I relate everything back to my personal experience because that's all I can talk about. And that's all I can talk about on the Skeptico show is that for me, I don't care about, I, I mean, I'd love to see that happen. I'd love to to help others along their path, whatever their path is. But my message is, I have been transformed by the data, not by any uh, uh, guru or special kind of spiritual experience. Just the data can be transformational. And the way I wake up every day is different because of what I've learned. So it doesn't matter if there's a consciousness shift, if there's this global change, because the global change for me has already happened. The global change for my wife, who can tolerate yeah. me maybe a tiny bit more, has already happened. For my kids, it's already happened. Yeah. Hopefully every day I practice and try and be a better person to the people around me. That's the kind of transformation. We don't have to wait five minutes for that. We can make that happen right now. I, I think that that's a very, I think that's a really good point. I think we, we get lost sometimes in the terminology, and I think that it it sort of puts a lot of people off, and the scientists. I mean, I think if, if, if you want to disillusion a scientist quickly, you know, you start using words like consciousness mm -hmm. raising and, um, and uh, you know, conscious evolution and new age and spirituality. I mean, it's, it's not, it, those terms don't have scientific currency right now, and I, I myself struggle to use terminology that has some weight and credibility to it but i think but i think the point you're making is really good because at the end of the day it is a personal transformation i would agree with you and what does it really mean it means that we're better people i think that's what it means because if it doesn't mean that then this is not worth it right you know that's what that's what it means and it's sort of like buddha you know you know we sit there and we recite the eightfold path you know right conduct um, right education well one of them is 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 moral is right conduct it's right, right thinking it's 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 part of it's part of not only uh, appreciating the world and the miracle of the world or the wonder of the world as tim freaky would say but it's also realizing that we're part of something and that it's that, that and that we're more than a than a random combination of particles and so i i would be perfectly happy if 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 when everything is said and done we have people that are better people that are nicer to each other that are more respectful of each other and of the world that would be 
that's really what this is all about. When you when you boil it down to its essence, we're not going to have people flying around like angels or going off to mountain retreats all. Maybe we still will, but the point is is that this whole movement I think is supposed to affect the way we look at the person across the table across right. the street. That's what this is about. So I compl- I agree with you on that. And I and I also think your point that too much of this gets lost in the airiness of the concepts uh, is, is, is a really is, is really good. I mean, I think that, you know, you meditate, you know, I've tried it and I haven't given up, but to me, if it makes me more relaxed and, and, uh, to, and, and deal with the stress better, that's, that's cool. That's, that's good because it's now having an impact on my daily life. So, so I think that, um, that, your points here about bringing us down to earth are, are great. Um, let me ask you, where do you, in all the people you've spoken to, where do you think this is heading? What do you think the future is going to bring us? Do you think we're always going to have this dichotomy between, between um, the, the atheistic scientists and, and the religion? Do you, do you see any, any, any of that ever changing? Well, I mean, that's a tough one, and I think we spent a good part of this hour yeah. kind of discussing that. And I don't think we we know for sure. I, I, maybe I'd turn it back to the last five minutes that we are just talking about, and I'd add this part to it, is that, you know, the other thing that I think sometimes turns people off is when we talk about morality, morality has been so... Uh, mixed up with religion in kind of a, a not so good way, you yeah. know, for all the great things that religion can mean to people and can uh, give people a sense of meaning in their life and a sense of morality and just a sense of goodness, you know, right. that science can't come close to. There's a lot of ills in in religion, too. So I think there's a lot of people out there that are just trying to make good decisions about how to run their life. Yeah. I mean, it's really as simple as that. And I, I love what you said about meditation. I mean, that's so real, Philip. I mean, that's what it is. It's like, yeah. hey, I tried it. I'm not so sure I'm willing to give it up. I can't say it's changed my life, but you know, I'm gonna keep trying because if it makes me a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more compassionate, then maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. Terrific. For me, it's I've been a longtime yoga practitioner because I'm not so great at meditation either. It's led me into a better meditation practice, but I'm still, that's not it. But I've come to appreciate that that's not important. What is important is being able to, for me, what's important is being able to make decisions about my life based on solid ground, you know? Yeah. And that's what I think the work you're doing and the work that I'm doing is trying to do is to say, you know, you alluded to near-death experience science. I think that's critical. Anyone who hasn't really dug into near-death experience science needs to do so. And you need to dig into it so you know it. So you know all the arguments against it. You know why all those arguments fail scientifically. So you know why every prominent near-death experience researcher across the board, and these are not religious folks. These are just 
people like cardiologist Pin Van Lommel who cut people open and see them die on the table and then see them come back to life and say, hey, doc, when my heart was open, you said this and that. And they yeah. say, oh, my God, how did you know that? Yeah. So when you know the science of near-death experience and you know there's a reality to it, I think it helps you make decisions about your life and say, okay, I need to bring that in now. I need to incorporate that into my belief system and I need to live that because that's a truth that I've discovered and nailed down as much as I can. I've nailed it down. Consciousness, in some way I don't understand, survives bodily death. Now I have to take action in my life and I have to live that. And that's, I think, that's, I think, powerful. That, I think, is, is powerful, is to say, I don't have to worry about the big picture. Like, you, you, and this is, I think, the essence of what you were saying. You know, I have to chunk this down into meaningful bits of information that I can use in my life. And I, near death experience is one of those. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that what, what, what you're saying about follow the data is critical. And I'm going to emphasize something else that I said that goes to my, you know, my, my legal training is that when you give a legal argument, uh, in most appellate courts, you can't say anything unless you cite an authority. You can't just, the courts are not interested in what you or I or any other lawyer has to, has to say or what their opinions are. You have to have authority. And I think that there is a crossover here to what we're talking about in the scientific world. And, and I think near-death experiences and parapsychology of the Dean Radin type are perfect examples where we are seeing phenomena with citations to authority, with evidence that shows these things are real and we need to wake up and appreciate the reality of these things not so not just because maybe we were wrong or science is wrong but to me it opens up a broader world it opens up vistas in our experience of the world and makes it a richer place to live and i do think that leads to, to being kinder gentler as corny as that as that is i do think that, that this whole thing leads in that direction. And, you know, I, it, this is a mystery to me. It's a mystery. I said it earlier. I don't know what is going to work, and I don't know whether anything's going to work. But I think we have this obligation to keep our minds open, as you say, Alex, to follow the data and to keep banging down doors that are shut and that should, and that should be open because... Because we, to me, and I, I think you know, we only have one life to lead. As long as you know, as far as we know, there might be an afterlife, and that's great. But this is our challenge and our opportunity now, and therefore, we I think we need to continue questioning these these uh, uh, these unsupported uh, beliefs, whether it's religion or whether it's science, and see where things head. So I think I think you know, it's amazing to me that. We come from this from different directions, and maybe I'm a little bit more I, I, optimistic than you are, but we tend to be going in the same direction here. I mean, your your book, um, you know, you say that why science is wrong about almost everything, and and you know that's a pretty radical statement um, to say that science is wrong about almost everything. What what led you to pick that title? Well, I'll tell you, and then we'll wrap it up, because you just gave a great summation 
uh, counselor right there. I thought you did a, a great job. And I, I love when you tie it back to some of the legal principles, um, because I, I think that has a real weight to it. And I think it's also interesting to note, of course, that, you know, when we talk about this materialism and this, I always talk about this dopey scientific paradigm that yeah. you're a biological robot in a yeah. meaningless universe, yeah. which implies you have no free will, you have no choice, you have no consciousness. And it's interesting to see how the legal profession has completely ignored that nonsense. I mean, we wouldn't have a legal system if we really believed that. Yeah. If we believed that there was no free will, right. if we believed there was no choice, to believe that people didn't have the ability to make conscious decisions, you know, I mean, it's just another absurdity, right? It's an right. absurdity that we have this science that is built on that so it can kind of measure things in its dorky little way. And then the rest of us get on with life and say, well, of course, that's bullshit. I mean, of course, we know that we have choice. Of course, we have free will. Of course, we have that feeling of love and compassion uh, towards our family and towards our children. We know that, you know, you mentioned uh, Tim Freak, I thought he, he who I interviewed, and he has a wonderful thing. And he says, you know, science is stuck in its just thinking. Yeah. So when they, you hear the birds in the morning and it just raises your heart and, and lifts you up and science, the scientist comes along and goes, oh, that's just uh, birds marking their territory and yeah. seeking mates. Yeah. And he goes, well, it, it, it might be that. But it's not just that, yeah. you know, you look into your newborn child's eyes and you get like so many parents, every parent throughout time has had this instant connection that's indescribable love where you feel like a piece of your heart has been lifted out of you and put into this other person. And you have this feeling and the scientist comes along and goes, well, that's just the nurturing instinct that has been biologically bred in you. Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah. it, there might be some of that, but it's not just that. Yeah. And we know that's crap. Yeah. You know, but we've been battered into, you know, we don't let our kids go to school and raise their hand and say, hey, wait a minute, that's a bunch of crap. Everyone knows that. We tell them, like you were saying, just go along, get a good grade on the test, you know, listen to what they have to say and, you know, all the rest of that. Yeah. So, you know, as we wrap things up, I, I guess that's what I was pulling for with that book title that I stand behind. Because, you know, the book, what it really relates to is why science is wrong about almost everything. Here's the short answer. Because science is wrong about consciousness. Yeah. And if they're wrong about consciousness, they're wrong about almost everything. Because consciousness is your minute-by-minute minute experience of life. Yeah. It's who you think you are. It's that voice inside your head. And if you get that wrong, it doesn't matter how good... You are at lasers and iPhones and GPS systems. All that small stuff. Yeah. You've missed the big stuff. Yeah, and I, I think that you do a really good job of focusing your book, um, Why Science is Wrong, about almost everything on, on that point. And, you know, it's like you were saying, talking to people with credentials with, uh, who are articulate, they've researched it, one-on-one -on -one like you do like I do it's really uh, you know it's changed me it's 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 made me realize that I'm not the only one sort of with with these questions in my head and I'm also really encouraged Alex that so many credible intelligent people are 
going down this road. It's not it's not just sort of the hippies from the 1960s. We are having people opening up their minds to to this field and I for I'm very That's encur- a great point. You know, That's I'm very, a great point. I'm very encouraged in the in the in the medical side of things of energy healing. Um, I'm, I'm, the more I talk, even you know, the more I talk to folks in the medical side, it could be someday that will be sort of the first treatment you'll get before they start cutting things open, you know, before they start radiating the the uh, the, the cancer cells or something. I mean, it sounds sort of maybe uh, science fiction right now, but I think we're heading in that direction. So, um, you know, you're right, we've, we've come to the end, and I, I want to uh, thank you uh, for getting this started, and I want to thank you for your, your inquisitive questioning. I think that you, you do um, a service with your show, and uh, I'm, I'm happy that uh, I'm not the only one out there sort of beating this drum, and, um, you know, we should, we should do this more often and check up on each other. <laughs> I agree, Philip. It's been it's been great. And I do, you know, and one of my listeners recommended your book to me and I, I just glanced at it and go, oh, my, here's a here's a kindred spirit. Here's a fellow uh, Chicago land kind of person, just like I grew up in the suburb, the western suburbs of Chicago and LaGrange. But here's a guy who's kind of followed along and found, found some of the same cookie crumbs on the trail and has decided to follow them just like I did. So it's, it's been great. And uh, yeah, I had to push you a little bit or it wouldn't have been a skeptical dialogue, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, you know, I think that the, the topic of, of, of skepticism itself is such a rich topic. And I, I did a blog uh, recently on 360 degrees. Yes, I read that. It's great. Skepticism. You know, we need to be... Uh, you know, 360 degrees skeptical, not just skeptical about things we don't believe in, and right. you know, the, the whole self-examination. And you know, there's a lot there. And and I and frankly, I think that science needs to turn back on itself and be skeptical of some of its own theories. Um, although I do have faith that science is a self-correcting field, and so you know, I'm a scientist at heart, maybe like you are as well. And and I am optimistic about about uh, the future, but. Um, I, I'm not going to make any predictions on when when something's going to happen. I sort of like your approach to this, to uh, focus on numero uno, change yourself, do the possible, and, and you know, you never know what might happen. Exactly. So. By the way, I just have to say one more time that I, I love the way you coined that term, uh, 360 degree skepticism. I'm going to have to have to use that. So <laughs> yeah. it's it's been great having you on again. Our guest has been Philip Camella. His book is The Collapse of Materialism, Visions of Science, Dreams of God, and the podcast that you're really going to want to check out. There's some great guests on there, our conversations beyond science and religion. Philip, it's been great spending this hour with you. Thanks again so much. And Alex, I thank you very much. And Alex's book is Why Science is Wrong About Almost Everything. And of course, uh, his po- his own podcast is Skeptical Science at the Tipping Point. This is Philip Camella, Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you very much for listening. And Alex, it's been great talking to you. Likewise. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. 
To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com. 